0: Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. I figure since we just don't have to do anything else tomorrow, we can stay here late, as he said. I guess if nothing else, we can go sit in the pantry and eat dry cereal and peanut butter. So, (laughs) man, I'll eat worse. I promise you. (laughs) Oh yeah, claim jumpers five. They might not be there no more. (laughs) But um, I appreciate your pastor. Appreciate the church. Amen, I'm thankful for what God is doing Amen, I'm thankful for the Lord helping us And um, as it gets closer to this trip to Africa It wasn't until a couple days ago I really started feeling a little bit excited about it Not for any other reason other than the fact that um, I've been busy And uh, hadn't, hadn't really dwelt on it a whole, whole lot Been praying about it, fasting about it but the closer it gets, the more excited I get about it. Believing the Lord to pour out His Spirit, I'm believing for revelation to fall. I say that every day. I'm praying. I'm praying it every day. God, let revelation come to these men. Amen. Amen. And you got to have the Spirit in the Word. Amen. we've got to have. They, a lot of those men may know Scripture. They may know some of the Word, but they need the Spirit of God to open up their understanding. Amen. Only the anointing of God can help us do that. And the people that are hungry for God, he'll open up your heart, open up your understanding. And I'm excited about what God's going to do. Amen. How many going to help us pray? I know you are. Amen. 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 Praise God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. We'll begin reading in verse number one, Judges chapter sixteen. I'm going to do some skipping around if you'll hang with me. Then went Samson to gaze and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. And it was told the gazeites saying Samson has come hither, and they compassed him in and they wait for him all night in the gate of the city and were quiet all the night, saying in the morning when it is day we shall kill him. Samson lay till midnight and arose at midnight, took the doors of the gate of the city. And the two posts, and went away with them, bar and all, and put them up on his shoulders, and carried them up to the top of an hill that is before Hebron. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said unto him, Entice him, and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And we will give the every one of us eleven hundred pieces of silver. And Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. And Samson said unto her, they bind me with seven green wits that were never dried, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven green wits, which had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. And she said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he brake the whist as a thread of toe is broken when it toucheth the fire. So his strength was not known. Verse 11, he said unto her, If they bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Verse 13, Delilah said unto Samson, Hitherto thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Tell me wherewith they mightest be bound. And he said unto her, Thou weavest the seven locks of my head with a web. Verse 15, she said unto him, How canst thou say I love thee when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times, and hast not told me wherein thy great strength liest. Verse sixteen, it came to pass, she pressed him daily. Verse 17 told her all of his heart. Verse 18, when he she saw he told her all of his heart, she called for the Lords of the Philistines. Verse 19, she made him sleep and a man to shave off his hair. In verse 20, she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. I want us to pray tonight and ask the Holy Ghost to talk to somebody here tonight. God, I love you so much tonight. Thankful for your word, for your anointing. God, I pray your will be done the remainder of this service tonight. Jesus, let your will be done tonight, God. Let your will be done tonight, Lord Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I worship you tonight, God. I worship you tonight, Jesus. Jesus, we need you tonight, Lord. Jesus, we need you tonight, God. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. I love you, Lord. I worship you. I worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You Be seated tonight. Amen. This past week or maybe two, it may have been 2 weeks now probably the last 2 weeks I was talking to some people about tornadoes in Oklahoma y'all've had a few of them in Kansas and um, just so happened when the last two tornadoes that have been so deadly in Oklahoma happened a friend of mine texted me from there and said hey man there's a there's tornados forming in Oklahoma city and he said you can go to this link and and they're giving live updates and so I went to that link, I happened to be at a hotel when he texted me that and I went online and, and they were giving updates as this tornado was actually developing. And uh, it would show pictures that were coming in, it showed live footage at times, but it was just strictly uh, a helicopter and a car on the ground and they were chasing this tornadoes. That's, I don't know why these guys are so crazy. And uh, when I lived in Oklahoma I used to chase them, so I think it's a hobby in Oklahoma in the springtime to chase tornadoes, and I remember used to there'd be about 50 cars running down the road looking for them, and uh, you know, it, I was going back probably 11 years ago or so, 12 years, I was in Tulsa, and we had gone to a uh, graduation in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and on our, way, on our way coming out of it, it was thundering and lightning and, you know, typical spring weather, and and I uh, didn't think much about it. The week before there had been a bad tornado hit Oklahoma City. And as we left there, it was storming around us. It wasn't raining, just a lot of thunder and lightning. And I was scanning on the radio trying to find something. I picked up a FM on a FM station. I picked up, um, I guess it was probably a television station. I'm not sure. Uh, and there was a guy in a helicopter talking about a funnel that was on the ground that was tearing up the city and on and on and I listened for a moment and I thought, well, they're giving an update from what happened last week. But in Oklahoma they really don't do that without giving you plenty plenty of warning. This is not a repeat. This is real live happening. So I it didn't take me but a minute to figure out it was another tornado that they were tracking right then. And so as I listened to it, uh, and in the projected travel of it was headed straight down I forty four towards Tulsa. The same path they seem to always take and uh, I called my brothers who were in their vehicles and told them, hey, y'all need to listen to the station. And uh, we listened to it. Of course, we were ahead of the storm. And uh, we got to Tulsa, couldn't find my dad. The storm was coming, tornado warnings were everywhere. And uh, we found, I found him at the church. And I, you know, I said, you're going to stay here? And he said, yeah, we're going to be all right here. We're just going to stay at the church. And while I was standing there listening to the radio, they said there was a funnel that just crossed Highway 75 South at Glenpool, 141st Street. Well, that's where we lived, on 142nd Street. So I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go down there and check on it, make sure, and they said the funnel was a mile wide. And so we jumped in my truck, and there was several men. The church, we jumped in there, and we took off down there. And on the way there, I passed, uh, as I was passing vehicles, it was raining fairly hard. It got to raining so hard, you could barely see. And as I passed this one truck, I noticed something glowing in the cab of it and I looked and he had screens in the cab of the truck, computer screens, and on top of it was a little satellite dish on top of his truck and on the side of it stood Storm Chaser. And I said, this is who I need to be following. So I just dropped in behind him and I uh, started following him. Well, the rain was so bad we had to stop and we just stopped on the side of the road, get off as far as we could and setting there and finally the rain let up and when it did, well, I thought, well, he needs to go on. He just kept setting there. So I pulled out around him and took off and I went about a quarter of a mile, and I realized why he stopped, because there was the funnel cloud, and uh, it was massive, it covered, it was wide, I don't want to guess how wide, I don't know, but it was a big one, and uh, I had nowhere to go, the ditches were full of water, I'm on a four-lane highway, there's nowhere to turn around, and uh, I I thought, man, I don't know what to do, I was headed due south, the tornado was coming out of the southwest straight at us, and it was wide enough, you're not gonna run past it at the angle it was at. And so I, there was an exit, I went off the exit. When I exited off, I was headed straight at the funnel cloud. But that's the only thing I knew to do, and I turned back under the the freeway. When I did, I seen four or five state troopers and sheriff's deputies running for their car and taking off, heading due east to get away from it. And uh, I thought, I knew the roads there, and I knew if I went east, that was a dead end, and the river was right there. And I said, we don't have nowhere to go if that's where I go, I'm not following them. And so I turned back up the entrance ramp on the freeway and I took off and I will uh, be honest with you, there was grown men in that truck with me and they were saying Jesus and God more than I've ever heard in three minutes. They were praying. And we got far enough ahead of it to a safe distance that I pulled over and we watched as it come across the freeway and headed on through some fields and went on that direction. And somehow or another, the tornado they reported crossing had split off of that other one in that system or whatever happened. And uh, I had chased him for many years. And uh, I had seen him off in the distance. I seen him form, you know, way off, but it never was up close near it. And that night, I gained a healthy respect for Mother Nature. I learned that night what it is to feel fear over Mother Nature. And I told myself if I ever chase another tornado, I'm going to stay way away from it. I'll watch it in the distance. I'm not going to try to get that close. And uh, there's just something about uh, taking things for granted. It gets old to us. Y'all still out there? And I told somebody just last week, I'm pretty sure of that, as I was looking at pictures from the devastation in Oklahoma City, and, and you know, when, when it all happened, the second one happened, I thought to myself, I think this one's probably as bad as the other one, but they were saying it was about a category EF3 tornado, but when I first went online to see what was there, the whole sky was black except to one side of it, and I thought to myself, man, it looks like the sky's coming all the way down to the ground there. What I was actually seeing was the tornado was two-and-a-half miles wide. And the camera limb wasn't picking up the outside edges of it. And so uh, what looked like just a bad storm coming in was really a funnel that wide. matter of fact, they recorded as the widest tornado on record in the world right now. Just, what, two weeks ago. And uh, it was actually an EF-5 tornado. It just did not go through a heavily populated area like the other one had and uh, there was pictures that came out the next day of a car from the Weather Channel that got caught in it. These guys are professionals, they chase tornadoes and they want to see who can get the best footage and who can get the first reports and on and on and there's their smashed vehicle sitting down the field. Fortunately, all three of them walked out of it with just minor injuries. And uh, they got caught in that funnel cloud, they couldn't, it was so wide, they couldn't get away from it. And uh, then as I read that and saw the picture of it, I was talking to some men. I said, I'm going to tell you what's fixing to happen. I said, somebody, one of these storm chasers is fixing to get killed. They're getting, every year, the rate. they're trying to pump the ratings up and they're trying to say who can do better than the other one and who can get closer than the other one and who can get the most awesome pictures and video, whatever they're doing. And uh, just steady pushing it when well, we didn't even know then. And the next day, the report came out that three men were actually killed chasing that storm. And these men weren't your average tornado chasers. One of them was a meteorologist. If anybody knows the weather patterns, he knows them. If anybody knows, and he had up-to-date live stuff, I read his uh, history of what he did. This man tracked weather and he knew what was going on. They had it with them, they were tracking the tornado, they watched it form online, they did all of that. They watched the rotation of the clouds, the wall cloud, every bit they knew what was going on. And and then the other man that was leading that group, his son was 24 years old. He was killed in the vehicle with them. And then the man himself that was killed was 49 years old, I believe. He had personally tracked over hundred and twenty-five tornadoes recorded Tornadoes on the ground pictures video everything he also developed a, uh, a What the, it's a pod I forget everything in it But it measures the atmosphere and the barometer and things of that nature and when he gets in front of a funnel He'll stop and throw it out in the path of that funnel and it records the activity when that funnel passes over and he recorded Uh, Just a few years ago, uh, the the biggest drop uh, of barometer pressure when the funnel went over. And uh, 300 millibars, if I remember right, maybe I've got it all wrong, but that's unbelievable change in the atmosphere when that funnel passed over. And uh, he was one of the leading, foremost uh, spokesmen on Tornadoes, chasing tornadoes, how to do it. And uh, if anybody knew what the power of a tornado was, he knew. He was involved in recording wind speeds of 265 miles an hour and higher. That one the other day was right at 300 miles an hour. Can you imagine that? And uh, here, somebody that knew all about it is caught in it and died doing what he loved to do. And uh, if anybody should have known the danger of a tornado, he should have known. If anybody should have known uh, the unpredictable way that a tornado works, they were saying that the tornado was jumping around. That instead of it going from a southwest, it comes out of the southwest and always travels northeast. But it turned north and then it turned south on them. The problem was it really wasn't turning after all the information come in. It was just getting wider and they couldn't get away from it. Usually, when they see a funnel coming, they'll, you know, especially in Oklahoma, everything's running north, south, east, and west and most of the roads, and they could run away from it and, and uh, get out of danger, but that one was so wide and expanded so quickly that they couldn't get out of its path. And uh, there had been warnings that week that it's gonna be a dangerous day matter of fact, they flagged Kansas and Oklahoma as a very red flag day that there's gonna to be tornadoes. All the weather patterns were setting up just for it right to happen. So they knew in advance, they were part of the ones that were warning people, this is what's fixing to happen. Be prepared. Don't worry about the sunny skies, it's gonna change. Right. Right. 20 minutes before that tornado, it was clear skies. Matter of fact, I've seen pictures Uh, snapshots of of the screen of the change in a matter of 30 minutes it went from clear skies to tornadoes popping up everywhere and uh, because the systems collided together and created a chaos and I'm not here to talk about that but if anybody knew the danger of a tornado those men knew it better than any of us that's what they did for a living this man was leading the nation in tracking these and how to discover all that and so here He's killed by the very thing. And I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing more dangerous than a person that takes uh, uh, for granted something that's dangerous. I was just preaching recently at a church, and, and uh, when I got there, uh, a man in the church owns a steel company. They, they do metal buildings and steel, and they have machines that cut it and form it and all of that. And uh, a man connected work for him. They were working on the equipment. He run the equipment. And while they're working on the equipment, they got chains and gears and all this that works. It's very uh, high-pressure equipment. And he knows better. He's worked on it himself. And while they're working on it, for whatever reason, God only knows, he sticks his finger up there on the gear with gloves on and sucks his hand through it and cut it off and just mangle it. And, you know, when you're around something all the time, you get to taking it for granted. Right. Extra run printing equipment. I used to work on. I used to take it apart, put it back together, rebuild it, all that kind of stuff. And I remember, uh, you know, I've seen guys with gnarled up hands that run printing equipment, and I've been bit a few times. It popped the edge of my fingers, and and I've I've got a few little marks from it. Where at the high speed that they run, all the pressurized rollers and cylinders and everything, gears and all that, you got to be careful. And uh, I I have uh a few times they're made safety but a lot of people bypass the safety switches so because it slows down the speed of everything and i was working on one and i just got a little careless and i had a rag in my hand like that and i was running it through there on a the roller cleaning on it and when i did it caught that rag i always hold it where if it caught it i can just let it go and i had my finger stuck up in it too far and it caught it as it went down it caught my finger and started to suck my arm down. It actually, one of the safety features, popped the roller out and saved my hand from going down through it. And uh, I had gotten so careless, I got to where I did it every day and never had a problem. But just a little moment of carelessness, bowed, took my hand. I'm going to tell you something tonight. There's a lot of things in life that I take, we take for granted. We forget uh, what it's all about. Matter of fact, I, I lived near San Francisco for the last... I don't know, four and a half years, and we were, while there, I got used to seeing the Golden Gate Bridge. I love to look at it. It's a beautiful place, and I love the weather there. And uh, there's a lot of things about it I like, but the people, that's a whole other ballgame now. And, uh, but I remember pulling up there and looking at it the first time. I was in awe of what I saw. It is beautiful. Matter of fact, I read, I think it's in the top three. It might be the number one photographed place in the whole world. There's people proposing up there every day, and men and women, probably men to men, women to women in that part of the country. But anyway, it's, it's a very beautiful place to see, and when I would go there, I was always impressed with what I saw. And uh, I got to noticing the people that work there and live there, they don't even look around anymore. And I don't know how they can. It is one of the most beautiful spots in America. And, and they just, it's not beautiful to them, I guess. I don't know. And after being there for four years, going to the hospital, I was in San Francisco mostly every week and for different reasons. And uh, I got to where I'd be busy in a hurry, and I'd drive across that bridge, and I'd never even look out there at the Pacific Ocean. I'd never look at the Bay Alcatraz. I just ignored it and just kept on going. And I was in a hurry, and it just became just a routine, mundane thing to me. And, and uh, it, it lost the majesty that it had. But I'm, I'm going to talk to you for a minute tonight if you'll let me. That there's a lot of things in our world today. And I talked a little bit about it last night. But in our society today, we're seeing so many people. The Bible talks about in Romans 1. And I know that many... Uh, You can say this is only about homosexuality but it's more than just that. I believe it covers abortion. I believe it covers child abuse and, and different things of that nature. But the Bible said that they were without natural affections. It's unnatural for homosexuality, it's unnatural for child perversion, it's unnatural for many of those things. It's not normal, it's, it's out of the natural order of mankind and uh, our society has become desensitized to normal things. I might get in trouble, I gotta be careful here not. Amen. Timothy said, No, also on the last days, peerless times shall come. Men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. I've never seen so many unthankful people in my life. Well, hello. Unthankful people. God can't stand that. That's part of the end time, is being unthankful. All you hardworking people that work a job and pay taxes that are supporting everybody on welfare and they are not thankful for what they get. Do you know where that comes from? It may aggravate us because we're paying for it, but I'm going to test that's just an unthankful spirit rampant in our world. And it's not just that. People work in the ones, a lot of them that do work a job think that the boss owes them a check whether they do anything or not. You mean you're not going to pay me? You mean if I miss work, I don't get a check? You mean if I'm late, you're going to let me go? Come on. come on, man. I come in here and you know that you can't get them to hurry. You can't get them clean up. You can't get them to do their job right. I talk to employers all the time. They tell me the hardest thing about owning a business is hiring somebody to work for you. You can't find anybody that wants to work. And so that, that is the society that we're living in. It's an unthankful society. And uh, false accusers, and it goes on, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And in our day and hour that we're living in, I'm seeing so much changing, the desensitizing of our world. It's not just our nation, it's our whole world. That's facing this pressure, that's facing that. And uh, the things that used to excite people do not excite them anymore. The things that used to be normal is not normal anymore. Matter of fact, Pentecostals are getting to where it's coming into church and to where what just used to be good old church has become mundane and boring to them and we gotta have entertainment now. If you get an evangelist that's bold and fat like me that can't jump on the pulpit and cut a flip, who wants to listen to him? It's the truth. We got guys anymore, everybody, if they didn't play sports, they don't, you know, in the past they wasn't some stud athlete then they don't want him preaching for them. He can't tell as good a story. Well, I don't have any sports stories to tell you, other than I got a messed up knee and a messed up shoulder and some broken fingers out of trying to be something years ago when I shouldn't have. I got a two-inch vertical jump now. <laughs> on a good day. <laughs> I had to follow one of them clowns in revival. He preached a long revival and then I come in and followed him. And I had to undo everything he had done. Man, they said every service, he'd cut a flip off the pulpit. And, man, I preached my guts out for about a week, and they wasn't doing nothing. I said, look, folks, I ain't going to jump off this pulpit. I might roll down the steps here, but that's about all I'm going to do. If you're waiting on me to cut a flip, then you might as well get somebody else here because I can't do it. So what's happening in the world is trying to get into church. And we got people that hang around the fringes of church that don't ever get a hold of nothing because, well, y'all singing the same song you sung five years ago. Well, you know, that same old pastor. Upper. Well, say I felt the presence of the Lord, but I've gone out and nothing bad happened to me. I'm going to tell you something. That is the hour that we're living in, the pressure of the world coming against us. Somewhere in all this, people forget that hell really is real. There is an accounting day coming. There is a judgment day coming, whether I like it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you like it or not. There will be a day of accounting one time. There is no change in it, and when God does it, it's over with. And, you know, I can get so caught up in in old hat things and going through the motions, I see uh, this vacant, faraway look in many people's eyes in church anymore as we're singing songs and they're just tuned out. They'll sing the words on the screen if they got a songbook or whatever. They're just going through the motions of it. I see people mumbling their prayers. I fight it myself, so I know what I'm talking. I ain't just preaching to you, I'm preaching to me tonight as well. Uh, It's a fight the day and hour that we're living in to keep everything glorious like it used to be, to revere the presence of God like we used to. Hey, to stand in his presence to worship him like we need to. I don't want to forget where I come from. I don't want to forget what he did for me. I don't want to forget how he saved my life. I don't want to forget the power of God. I don't want to forget the glory of God in the service. I don't want to just keep driving by service and, and, and taking the benefits of it and taking the good part of it and ignoring the majesty of God's presence to where it's like crossing the Golden Gate Bridge and not even looking anymore. It just lost its majesty. It's not near like it used to be. It's not near as beautiful as it used to be. You know, they're talking, I've read several articles over the last year or two, uh, what they call expre- extreme sports. And and when you begin to find out the history of what they're talking about, it's amazing some of the idiots. They're paying millions of dollars to do stupid things. And it's amazing when somebody gets killed doing something stupid, everybody says, wow, they were such a talented athlete. Well, duh, when you jump a bicycle off the top of Mount Everest, you could die, stupid. In the wintertime, they got helicopters taking them up to the top of mountains and dropping them out of the side of a helicopter. And they'll ski down mountains for miles. It's miles down. And they're skiing and they're starting avalanches and they'll ski right in front of the avalanche all the way down. They'll go off jumps and go 1,500 foot before they land and just keep doing stupid stuff. Some of them are getting killed. It's a tragedy that so-and-so, one of the greatest skiers in the world, was killed in an avalanche today on the backside of Mount Everest. Really? He dropped his oxygen bottle, I think, or something while he was doing it. <laughs> and then when the snow melts, now they're taking him up there in the helicopter and dropping off with these bicycles. How insane. And people's dying. That's amazing. People die doing that kind of stuff. And used to, I remember when I was about 15 years old, we heard all about Evil Knievel growing up. And I had a bicycle with a banana seat on it, and it had three gears on it. (laughs) Those of you that's my age or close know what I'm talking about. And I got to thinking a friend of mine had a car parked sideways down the hill beside their house. And so we got a piece of plywood and we fixed a jump. And we get up there and we all take off and everybody would go around it, nobody would jump it. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna do it first. And so I took off. And as I went up that piece of plywood up the side of that car, I forgot that that hill was going down. And I made it over the top of the car. But it was a long ways down that hill before I touched. And when I touched, I broke the banana seat I broke the bike. I broke myself of ever jumping again like that. And I went head over heels through the grassy slopes. But man, these guys, they're not satisfied with jumping something like that. They, they have figured out that when they make a jump like that, they could cut a flip while they're doing it. Well, that wasn't good enough, now they're doing two flips. That wasn't good enough, that's doing three flips. That wasn't good enough, they start doing it on motorcycles. Then they start doing it on skateboards. They start doing it on skis. They start doing it on snowmobiles. And some moron killed himself the other day trying to do five flips on a snowmobile. He almost made it, they said, but his head hit the ground before the deal come all the way over. So it's just pressure and this push It's hedonistic worship is what it is, is all it is. And and the, the push for more violence, the more extreme it gets because people have lost the ability for normal things. Kids used to normally just play with a box that a refrigerator came in and make it last for weeks. My mother used to take a piece of wood, a one by four, and she'd cut out about that long, my mother and me would go to prison for what she used to do. She would take that board and she would cut it out and make it look like a gun and take a clothespin and put it on the back of it and take an inner tube and cut it up in strips and, you know, a little back tube and then I'd have me a rubber band gun. And the kids in the neighborhood were so impressed that I could hurt them at 30 feet. <laughs> and so they'd come down to the house and ask my mother if she'd make them one and my mom would get out there and saw all these up and make all these, and was having rubber band fights, and and then I got the idea that if I had a car inner tube and a longer gun, I could really hurt somebody. So she cut me out a long one, about as tall as I was, taller than I was, and I'd stretch it all the way back, and I'd have me three triggers back there of of clips because it wouldn't hold it, and you shoot that thing out and it'd whack into the side of something, it'd make noise. And we entertained ourselves for years with that. Matter of fact, I was 12 years old, and I remember sneaking in the backyard playing with some track Tonka toys, and I was afraid the neighbors would see me, but I was still, and I'm gonna tell you something, 12-year-olds now are trying to date girls. Our kids in Pentecost are so sexualized by the time they're 11, 10, 11 years old that they're, you know, the girls already worrying about the boys looking at them. The boys at 12 years old are looking at GQ magazine trying to figure out what color socks they need to buy that don't match their clothes. (laughs) You ever notice all the boys in our society now? If you ever see teenage boys anymore, they're walking like this. They've been sitting on the couch playing games for the last 10 years. My dad would have booted me in the backside if I' drugged my feet. Get your feet up so I' walk like a man. And so only reality they know was while they're gaming. They can't even say, it. "I said hi to them. they can't even look up. They're like Neanderthals just shuffling around. And so our society has become so consumed with entertainment that if it's not something physical sport, then it's something right here. You go to eat, and every kid at the table sitting there can't even carry on a conversation with a the kid. They don't know how to. They don't know how to say hi to somebody. Hey, how you doing there, bud? Parents, go ahead, say hi to him. All right. I know some kids are bashful, and I understand that. I'm not picking on that. I'm just saying our society is becoming so saturated with entertainment. And it's not enough. Just normal things don't work anymore. And so it's, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle that's been caught up. And it's affecting us in the church. And so we got visitors coming to church. And they may be backsliders. And they've been around church for years. And we sing the same old song. We got a faraway look in our eyes. The anointing of the Holy Ghost isn't like it should be. Because it's become mundane to us. It's not near as majestic as it used to be. And so it's affecting the people, it's affecting you. And so, in the society that we're living in, I'm sorry to get back on the same thread again tonight. I can't help what in the Holy Ghost. But it, it affects us to the point in a service that we just kind of sing the songs and we go through the motions of it, and we get out of here, and if somebody gets convicted, that's great, and on and on we go. But I'm telling you tonight, we've got to fight against that. We've got to walk in here and remember how great. Our God is. I heard him singing a song in a church, How Great is Our God, recently. In- and uh, I got to notice about 90% of them singing didn't even realize the words of what they were saying. I got on my knees in the corner. I said, God, you're much greater than I give you credit for. And you're much greater than I recognize here tonight. And I walked in his presence here in the service this afternoon as I began to pray before others were here. And I begin to feel the presence of an almighty God. And I said, Lord, don't let me forget how great you are. Don't let me forget, God, how good your presence is. Don't let me forget. Get God what it was to convict me, Lord Jesus. I want to feel his glory like I have in the past. I want to go back to my innocence and go back to where it was fresh again. Oh, Jesus, we need you, God. We had all this happening around us. And... and you know what, you, you ask a teenager today, uh, it, it amazed me, I heard just recently, I was somewhere and the youth had a deal and I was listening There's some of them talking and, and they'd worked hard and planned a lot of stuff for them to do. And, and we were there with the church where I was preaching at and so, you know, pastor was there watching the kids, helping whatever and there's a big youth deal and, and it wasn't five minutes into it, I heard some yeah, kid, this is boring. This is boring. I thought, man, I would give anything to be bored like that when I was a teenager. They got more than they've ever had. But it's boring because they can do more right here than we can entertain them with now. They can do more with their telephone than we can ever offer them to do around the church. Well, it's boring. It's, it's this, it's that. And so, you know, about five minutes... If you can't hold them spellbound in five minutes, you've lost them. That's why churches are going to hip-hop and Christian rock. I don't know there's any such thing, but that's what they call it. And they're having to go to lights flashing and smoke pouring out and, and kids up there dressing like the world, acting like the world, and we're all gyrating doing the Pentecostal bunny hop thinking we got it going on. Oh, help me, Jesus. I'm about to get off in the wrong direction here. The problem, the problem with what I'm talking about tonight, it causes uh, so much of the addictions that we're seeing today. It's causing problems with everything you can imagine, and, and I'm not going to take the time to get into all that tonight, but here we are, and when we're falling out of love with Jesus, and we're getting robotic in our worship, we're getting robotic in our praise, we're getting robotic in our prayer, we're getting robotic in our attendance to the house of the Lord, we're just sitting here waiting on it to get over with so we can... It's like everybody wakes up all of a sudden oh church is over with let's go let's go party let's go eat let's go do let's go home let's go hurry up and get online let's go whatever we're going to do and there's nothing wrong with some of the things I'm talking about the point I'm making is we are getting away from what God created as normal and we're having to have all this awe-inspiring stuff and after a few weeks it loses its appeal we got to have something bigger and better it just keeps on progressively going going and the more that our society goes that direction the more and more that we go down towards the things of God and, and it's affecting us and I'm standing here tonight in this pulpit again I hate to be preaching what I'm preaching but I come back again tonight telling you that we've got to get back to where he is so majestic and his power is so great that I not forget what he used to be like that I not forget how it used to be that I not forget where I came where I come from and How the Lord reached down and did something in my life. Jesus. Man, you got to deprogram people now when they get the Holy Ghost. Got to have a bunch of spiritual meth. Pass it out the door so people can get a hold of God. gotta have spiritual crack people's on on drugs or on crack or on meth or on everything you can think of and so uh, it it warps their normal abilities they lose sense of reality when that happens I pastored a guy I got delivered from meth and he told me that he went nine days one time and never slept one minute and he was up on meth the whole time. And he said, coming off of it, he like died over it. And uh, some of the crazy stuff you do. And, and it was hard for him. Matter of fact, here he was. He was the oldest teenager I've ever had in the youth group. He was 43 years old. And he stayed in the youth group because when he started his drug addictions, he was about 16 and he was stayed stuck in that. Here he is in his 40s. He had more fun with young people than anybody. Because that's how he thought he missed his teenage years he missed the area of his life and he served time in San Quentin and all that so he was hardcore with it but I'm gonna tell you something I see how it's affected people I see the dullness in their eyes and the faraway look, and, and nothing satisfies them they I read a deal brother Riggin it said that the first time a person does crystal meth that it locks something in their brain and it's an ultimate high for them at that moment and, they ne- and, and so the next time their body all of a sudden switches in their brain and in their physical makeup and they want to achieve that high again, but it never ever is like the first time. And so they're on a quest, the body locked that in, it's on a quest all of a sudden, every time it's trying to obtain that, and it never does. So you gotta do it again, you gotta do it again, and it never does feel like it did the very first time. And so then the first time, bam, it's locked in, they're addicted to it, it locks their brain in at that mode, and they destroy, that's why you'll see them go from normal in six months, they can be dead or look like walking death. Because of the effects of a drug that affected them. And it's so powerful and so so overwhelming. And here we are thinking we're going to pie the cake for Jesus and hope to win them. Man, I done stepped off of something tonight. We're having a hard time breaking through this one tonight. I'm sorry. We've got to have God help us. We've got to have God help us. I'm, I'm just saying we've got to have a breakthrough in the Holy Ghost. We've got to remember what it was like. I forgot how beautiful the Golden Gate Bridge was. And just a few months ago, I was preaching revival out near there again. And my son flew out there, and my wife and me was there. And we went up to the Golden Gate Bridge, and, and uh, I went to a part I'd never been. I didn't even know it was there. I Most people don't even know this part of it. They never hardly go over there. I mean, there's people there, but... The ones that I always went with that took me to show and they never showed us this. And it was the prettiest part of it all. It was on the opposite side of the bridge. And and I got up there and I was blown away at the beauty once again. I stood. I said, man, I can't. believe I forgot how beautiful it was here and how great this is and so I stood there just soaking it in I took a bunch of pictures of it and uh you talk about beautiful but I'm gonna tell you on the spiritual side of it there's some I'm gonna tell you I'm feeling pressure of desensitizing my mind desensitizing my spirit trying to wear me down to where I lose it and I'm gonna tell you something it's harder to get people in church Pastors are telling me everywhere I go, it's hard to get people to come to church anymore. On Sunday morning, Sunday night, at, you know, one weeknight, that's about the max you're going to get. They can't have revival any other night but that now because you can't get them back to church. And, and they say, well, everybody's busy. But you know what? We're making excuses. Right. We're just flat out making excuses. I know we're busier than we used to be. I know people's having to work a lot of hours just to pay their bills. I know all that, but I, I still can't help but remember stories of brush harbors to where I know them old-timers worked as hard as any of us have ever worked. They got up before sunrise and, and fixed something to eat and, and went out and fed the animals that they had to live off of, and they went out and got everything ready, and they loaded up equipment, hauled it out in the field and worked from till dusk. And drag home and have to finish up the chores and milk the cows and do everything else and then fall into bed and get up and do it all over again. But if they had revival, they went to church. And they might have to walk three miles or ride a horse or ride in a wagon. In the early 1900s, that's what they did. And they went to church and they'd have a move of God. My dad told me some of the stories, even in the 20s and 30s. Uh, he was born in 1920, and so I've heard him tell how hard it was, but they'd be there till midnight. You could hear him two miles away praying in the Holy Ghost. People coming in, get the Holy Ghost. Listen to me. I, I'm fighting to preach this tonight because the spirit of hell don't like what I'm saying. It, it don't want you to get a hold of this and hear what I'm saying tonight. I'm sorry, but that's a fact. And people begin to resist it. They, you, you, you don't even know what's happening. It is an unnatural affection in the spirit realm. We have lost the ability for just the little things of God that used to excite us. Well, it's, and we keep telling ourselves how hard it is. We keep telling ourselves how difficult it is. We keep telling ourselves it's hard to have revival anymore. It's harder to do this. It is not hard. It's, it's us. It's not any harder now. God's power has not changed. Yes, we're fighting hell. Yes, we're fighting spirits. But the power of God has not diminished one bit. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, help us. I wish I could have preached on faith tonight. I'd feel a whole lot better about it. I will, buddy. You know, Samson got used to the anointing. It became old hat to him. It just was a constant barrage against his mind, and he began to play games with it, began to become, it just lost. I mean, he'd go out thousand big whoop. He'd get himself in a position where he shouldn't be, and he'd rise up, and the Holy Ghost would be there to help him out. And i watch backslider after backslider come to church, and they'll cry, and they'll pray, and they'll feel the presence of the Lord, and walk right back out and go back to an, uh, to a, an adulterous affair, a fornication affair. They'll go back to sucking on their marijuana joints. They'll go back uh, to living any way they want to, and just blew away everything God did for them. I see it everywhere I go. It's getting to be more common. I'm going to tell you why. Because the forces of hell are so strong anymore. We have got to get a hold of the Lord like never before. And the problem that we're dealing with is not so much that they really don't want it, it's just the fact that when you repent, that means you turn around and quit going the direction you were going. And you go the opposite way. And so we'll pray that we feel the glory of God. And we'll pray, oh, isn't this good? And walked back out and didn't really mean, I guess, what we said we meant. It's lost its appeal to us. It's lost its effect on us. Samson played that little game for so long until he finally gave up everything he had. And then he got up, shook himself. He's going to go back out and do what he'd always done for God, but yet he had lost it and didn't know what it left him. And here we are, just a little bit at a time, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. The majestic anointing of God and the Spirit of the Lord that touches us. And uh, I'm gonna tell you something. We need the help of the Lord tonight. I, I'm belaboring the point so much tonight. And uh, I remember just here a while back, had some girls that in and out, in and out of church, played the game, go out, fornicate, and come back, and pray, fornicate, and come back and pray and on and on and on and do their little drugs and start doing their little thing. Kept on until Finally, one night, they came in church, and boy, it seemed like they really was, man, I never seen them cry like they were crying the altar. They were seeking God, they were sobbing, crying. Everybody's gathering around praying with them, and they're crying and crying, and everybody's telling them, come on, cry out to God, you know, let the Holy Ghost speak to you. Oh, come on, it's here, it's here, you know, whatever. And I kept watching I had this funny feeling something wasn't right about it. And finally, she cried out, I can't feel him no more. And the other girl cried. I can't feel nothing either. They're crying because they can't feel the presence of the Lord, and they know they gotta have His presence. They know they gotta have it, but they were up and down, and in and out, back and forth, and all around, and they couldn't get a hold of it. That feel. Oh, it feels good at church. We'll get in here and bunny hop. And everybody, this feels good in church. And then the next week they're back out fornicating again. The next week they're back out smoking their marijuana, again. and then two weeks later they come back crying. Everybody prays with them because we want everybody saved. But I'm gonna tell you something, it's in the church, it's out of the church. Amen, what used to be majestic has lost its appeal. What used to be glorious is not so glorious anymore. What used to be awesome is just so-so anymore. And I'm gonna tell you something, I read somebody's mind tonight while they're singing a song. You're sick and tired of singing the same old song. It's just not near what it used to be. Is it really real, Brother Riggin? That's the overriding spirit we're fighting in Pentecost right now. Young people, young couples, even some been in church a while. We've been singing, doing the same thing. We've sung the songs you sung tonight a thousand times. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so people's out there because of that spirit of entertainment, that spirit of, come on, do something bigger than you've done before. Come on. And what's out there is affecting us here. And so while we're singing, you got kids out here thinking, Man, I'm getting so sick of that. I don't even know if this is real anymore. I don't know if this is real anymore. I'm telling you the truth tonight. I'm telling you the truth tonight. God, somehow, somehow wake us up. Last night I got on the Great Awakening. I'm going to tell you something. God may be sick and tired of waiting on America to wake up. He may be letting Zimbabwe and Cuba wake up. He may be letting some other country just bypass America. We're getting to where it doesn't mean nothing anymore. Kicking him out of the schools, now kicking him out of the court system, now kicking him out of everything else. Well, why why would God want to hang around here when there's people on the other side of the globe that are starving to death for him? There's people that are hungry for this. There's people crying out for changes. They're crying out for something. God may bypass America and take it somewhere else. Just because we're America doesn't mean he has to keep on blessing. Just because he's always done it since we've been a nation doesn't mean he has to keep doing it because when you slap him in the face enough times, he'll walk away. And I'm here to tell you tonight, the church better wake up. We uh, And I'm telling you, God spoke to me in December. Try everything you can to stir up the church. And I've and i I've had some pastors probably don't even want me to come preach for them because I got in there and got to digging around too much, got to preaching this time to wake up. Come on, the Lord's coming back. We have got to wake up. We have no options left. Hey, listen, if America doesn't repent, we're going down. If the church don't get on fire, God will bypass them for somebody He will. Hey, listen to me. We're not charismatic and we're not going charismatic charismatic and God's blessings not on the charismatics but the blessings of the Lord are on a group of people that's willing to stand up and fight for what's right and that's willing to realize how great our God is how great his presence is how wonderful his spirit still is I hadn't forgotten what it felt like I hadn't forgot what he did for me <laughs> hallelujah Amen, I heard some of these men before church, we were just kind of praying, all of us just kind of praying. Really wasn't much happening, keep standing, I'm going to close. And he got to praying, and then all of a sudden I heard uh, one of them kind of drop it down into lower gear. And, and I began to feel something in their prayer. And then another one dropped it into another gear, and I begin to feel something. They were starting to feel the presence of God. It ain't old no hat for everybody. Don't don't think I'm indicting everybody. I'm not doing that. I'm trying to get us to see that the pressure of the world has affected the church, and we got to recognize when we walk in here. Look, there's people here that need the Holy Ghost. There's people here that need a touch of God. Well, they might have been here for a while. I don't care. They need God. We have got to have a move of the Holy Ghost. We gotta. It may be their last service. They may never hear it again. ain't never hear this again. Do you know a week ago no, last Saturday where my son, he's a youth pastor the church, they had outreach and a boy just got in the youth group. He turned 12 two weeks ago this past Sunday. He was so excited to be in the youth group, man. He was so excited and uh, he was going to get to go to youth camp for the first time and uh, he was looking forward to that and and uh, my son made him a little helper. He could help him on the platform do stuff. And his first time was going to be this past Sunday. And he's going to get to sing in the choir for the first time this past Sunday. And uh, everything was a first. He went Friday to his first youth service. And uh, it was actually the first service that my middle son had ever preached. And, uh, and we got a picture of that young boy praying in the altar, crying, seeking God, 12 years old. Good kid. He'd been on outreach that day. And he gets out of outreach, he gets home, his dad was somewhere, his sisters were gone, there were teenagers, they were gone. His mother was in the house, he goes out and he gets on a three-wheeler. And he just takes off in the front yard and he, he made two donuts on the three-wheeler. And the back tire clipped the root of a tree and throwed his head in the side of the tree and somebody come beating on the door and he was laying there dead. 12 years old, last Saturday. And we had his funeral, they had his funeral Tuesday one of the saddest funerals I've ever seen. 12-year-old boy, gone. But you know what? On the Friday night before he died, he was in the altar crying and praying. The last thing he did for the church on Saturday, he was on outreach. And he was so excited that he was gonna get to sit on the platform by my son and get to help bring water to the preacher and, and pick the coat up or whatever they needed. He was, he was so excited about it, and he was excited I'd get to sing in the choir. It was all majestic to him and now he's walking in real majesty right now and I'm going to tell you something it was his first youth service and it was his last youth service I told my son you're going to learn your lessons son every time you preach it could be the last time somebody hears it his first message was the last message that young man ever heard Who would have thought something like that would happen? I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to lose the majesty of God's presence. I don't want to lose the goodness of God. I don't want to take advantage of it over and over and over and become like Samson to where we've got so many today of Pentecost. They have learned to play the game to where they can turn it on and turn it off, but it doesn't work that way with God. We've got to recognize every single time that I walk in church, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is in this place. Every time that I come in here, I can lift up holy hands without wrath and feel the glory of God. I can walk in here tonight and really take it all in right here tonight on a friday night when my mind's not used to being at church and i'm not used to this revival service tonight but i'm going to tell you something i know some of you are tired and weary from work but can we just focus one time tonight can we just bring every thought into captivity of the lord right now and can we reach out to a glorious god amen when i when isaiah saw him high in the Hey, he saw his majesty when I see my Lord tonight. I know how good my God's been to me. I know where God's brought me from. Oh, church, let's pray tonight. Come on, visitors, those of you who need the Holy Ghost, get up here and pray tonight. Come on. Jesus. Oh, God, put a fresh desire in my heart, God. Oh, God, put a fresh touch of your spirit in my heart tonight, God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, church, help me pray tonight. I believe God's helping us set the stage for Sunday. I believe God's getting us ready for a harvest. I believe that God's giving us a tune-up tonight, God. Work on my heart tonight, Jesus. Work on my heart tonight, God. Work on my attitude tonight, Jesus. Work on my... My tonight God work on my emotions tonight God help me Jesus help me tonight Jesus oh don't let me lose the majesty of your glory tonight God don't let me lose the beauty of your presence God don't let me forget the beauty of holiness God oh we need you Jesus we need you tonight Jesus hallelujah come on young person Come on, stir yourself up tonight. Stir up the gift of God that's within you. Come on, stir up your pure minds by way of remembering where God brought you from. Come on, stir up the gift of God in you by remembering what God's kept you from.